following Days of Thunder pay-per-view special is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Hey there, Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I'm your host, your you guessed it, Frank Stallone on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you, my friend? I'm not too bad. It's uh, another late night recording for us, and you're yeah. Frank Stallone has uh, yeah. kind of thrown me a little bit. Yeah, well, it's a it's a shout-out to uh, an SNL running gag from one Norm MacDonald, mm-hmm. who sadly passed away just before we hit record here. So I, I feel like I, I have to pay tribute to the, the great man, the king of weird comedy. Um, he will be sorely missed. And also, I couldn't come up with something else to kick off the podcast, so here we are. Um <laughs> But yeah, another late, late recording of the show. Um, these are getting more frequent, my friend. Um, it's almost like um, the real world is telling us, guys, you're both in your mid-30s now. You really should be talking less about wrestling in your free time. <laughs> and I don't know, sleeping. I mean, look, it could be worse. We could be watching Raw. Yeah, I know, honestly. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember them nights you used to stay up till three o'clock in the morning, dude? Like, and in the not too like distant past either. I remember. So I had an old job. I was a night porter in a hotel, and if I was there on a Monday night, because like usually we'd have like two barflies who would like fuck off around one o'clock. So if I was in cleaning up the the bar in the downstairs area, I'd pop on raw. I remember I actually saw The Shield debut while I was hoovering a bar floor. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I used to do that. And then, yeah, like the odd raw then I'd stay up for up till up through like, I think the last time I watched it on a weekly basis was for the, um, the WrestleMania I was going to um, in 2016. Not that I was awfully interested in in the week-to-week television, but it was like, well, I'm going, so I may as well try get invested. You and may as well be uh, up to date. Yeah, and I was uh, guesting on our good friend uh, Alan Cunahan's show at the time, doing their Road to WrestleMania with Justin Shapiro, so I um, I, I felt like I had to keep abreast of uh, all things um, WrestleMania, um, for better or worse. But, um, yeah, yeah, uh, God, I just really don't want to talk about this show. Uh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm actually like yeah, grasping at straws. It, Go, did anything else happen in the last two weeks? Um, 
I mean, nothing good. No, I mean, yeah. did we talk about all out on the last show? I think we did. I think we did. Yeah, so that's that's fucking out of the water now. Um, did we? I don't fucking know, man. It was either right before or right after all out that we did the last show. I, it's all a blur to me. I think it was right before. Okay, it was a really good show. <laughs> <laughs> really fucking good loads and loads better than sold out 99 for those of you who are wondering i know people like far and wide across the land they were tuning in they're going jesus i wonder did dave and lee prefer sold out 99 to all out 2021 and i'm sorry that i've said that right up the top and now you're like well i've got my information i'm tuning out now i'll see them in two weeks um but yeah listen we have in like 16 show weeks from now so what? The end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> we have Spring Stampede coming up. Mm-hmm. Which is considered one of the greatest American made for you as well time. So we have we have that shining light. Yeah. Let's see. Like a shining light in a sea of shite. That's not to say the weekly TV will be good. No, and it almost certainly won't, because again we're still going through that phase of them just doing double shots. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, uh, it's real poor. This is this is a real dour start to our show. Yeah, I know, isn't it? Like, I'm trying to think. Like, have I been watching anything? Have I been playing anything? Like, anything to forestall the inevitable of t- of talking about World Championship Wrestling uh, on this occasion? Um, but sadly, I think Lee, we're just going to have to get into it. I mean, do we? <laughs> like you know it's i think it's that like once per quarter we both like get a token where we get to question whether we should be doing this show <laughs> and at least in our own minds quit the show for about 20 minutes because it's the only way to deal with like look if i say this is the last one and i'm quitting the show well then i can get through it no and i won't have to do it again and then you know later on when you've calmed down and stopped pacing in the den you say to yourself okay look i'll, I'll keep doing the show I tell you what, we'll we'll put the show on on ice for a few minutes. Let let's start the sh- let's restart the show. On right, a bit, a bit of a lighter note. You put out. Hey a there, Thunder Buddies! <laughs> <laughs> you put out a question to uh, the Thunder Buddies. I did a I couple did. of thank, hours ago. Thank God. I think it's obviously like, I think at this stage, our listeners know that if they see a tweet on a recording eve coming up from the two of us that it must have been a pretty shitty program. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I uh, I, I proffered a, a very interesting question, I think, uh, to the universe. Um, I, I put this out there. I tweeted, A new Days of Thunder is being recorded in about three hours. Your question for this week, what WCW wrestlers from 1999 would you cast in a buddy cop movie? Most creative pairing gets bonus points. All suggestions getting discussed on the sh- on air. Go, mm-hmm. um, Lee. Before we get into the suggestions here from the audience, are you a fan of the buddy cop oh, genre? God, yes. It, it's such a when it's done right, it's one of the best things you can watch. Yeah, it's just like you know when you're in one of them kind of like, uh, I, I don't want comedy. I don't want. F- action i want a bit of both it's just a yeah. buddy cop movie fills that role uh would i be right like i'm looking i'm sizing you up here on the on the webcam here lee and i'm saying leave alone that man is a fan of bad boys i am yeah that's a, that that was maybe 
would that have been my um my introduction to the genre possibly because mm. it was would have been huge when i was growing up it's one that they don't make a lot of great ones anymore um i'm told the 21 jump street reboots are pretty good have you not seen the 21 jump street reboots no i haven't seen either of them well there goes my one of my suggestions and the reaction i was hoping to get from you so ah uh, yeah you, you, you've just killed my bit my fi- oh sorry mate uh <laughs> and you're, I, you're the cinephile I, I know, yeah, I've seen, I, I crossed the 104 movies seen this year mark last weekend. Jesus. Um, I rewatched two of my favorites in the not too uh, distant past. I watched uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, mm-hmm. the Shane Black movie with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, which is an absolute classic. Like, I, I used to say it's an underrated classic, but I feel like so many people say that now that it's, it's not probably underrated. just rated yeah, appropriately. Um, and of course, leaning heavily towards that comedy side of things that you were talking about, Hot Fuzz. Another great one, yes. An absolute classic. Um, there's, I'm looking through the list here. Uh, oh, God, yeah, remember Rush Hour, <laughs> man? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen Rush Hour. I, I, I'm skeptical as to whether the Rush Hour movies hold up. I would say the Rush Hour movies have a lot of lines that you're going to tug your collar at and go oof that's... I would say so um oh it, this this list has uh, Last Action Hero as a buddy cop movie oh really where like I suppose his his buddy is the kid but you know I'll take that I like I like Last Action Hero yeah it's a good movie um oh great one from Ireland if you've never seen it guys The Guard I've never seen The Guard You've never seen The Guard? Oh, my God. Okay, so, like, Ireland had this, like, uh, you know, it was nearly 10-year period of, like, every so often we'd have, like, a low-key banger of a movie come out, Uh like, In Bruges and Intermission and a few others. And one of them in this litany, by one of the McDonough brothers, I believe, uh, is The Guard, where Brendan Gleeson just plays, like, this West of Ireland police officer um, caught up in an international drug smuggling ring uh, where in comes FBI agent Don Cheadle um, and the two of them form like you want to talk about unlikely buddy cop pairs this is the movie for you um, I would I, I don't even think you have to be Irish necessarily to really appreciate rural Garda and uh, slick FBI agent solving crimes together um, and about half the extras from Game of Thrones are in it as well like because it was filmed up north <laughs> Um, yeah, I love the guard. Were you going to suggest one there before we, oh, we moved on? Um, no, I'm just I'm trying to think of any other ones. Like we we seen like uh, lethal weapon, lethal weapon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Mel Gibson. <laughs> Not I so mean, much, but I mean, does the original Die Hard count as a buddy cop movie? I don't like this one. This list I'm looking at has Live Free or Die Hard listed as one. Is that the That's one? That's the one with his son, isn't son? it? Yeah, yeah. Fuck, fuck that. Um, I was gonna say Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. Yeah, that's another one. Um, fuck yeah, we could spend. Oh, Men in Black, the original oh, Men in Jesus, Black. Jesus, yeah, obviously. Men yeah. in Black is incredible. Um, yeah. Oh God, I could I could spend a long time here trying to. Well, I, I tell you what, let's go through the lists that the uh, Tony yeah, sent fuck, in, and then we, yeah. we'll give our own suggestions before this becomes Buddy Cop Hour, um, which I'm not adverse to. Um, it'll be better than fucking sold out hour. 
Yeah, I mean, right. Okay. Uh, first suggestion comes in from Webcon, who says Bobby Eaton and Kenny Chaos, of course. <laughs> Which is like, what a callback. wow. Yeah, what a callback. <laughs> Beautiful chaos, and this is maybe the best shout of the whole bunch. Um, JJ Dillon as the police chief. My God, like the exasperated, even... out of shape, just hates his job. JJ Dillon, please, yeah, yeah. You could just see him, just like you could just visualize. I'll have your badge eaten, you know. Oh, mm-hmm. or you know, say like I'm, you know, I'm too old for this shit, or I'm, I'm like one year away from retirement. Yeah, yeah. JJ Dillon would be perfect. That like cigar chomping chief of police, love it. Um, Kieran says. DDP and Juventude Guerrera are detectives Cutter and Driver in a show naturally called Juicy Bang. I'm not I'm not joking. That one actually set me off when I read it earlier on. <laughs> Juicy Bang is definitely a show that's been produced on Sky One. Uh, Juicy Bang is certainly a show that is not Google safe search friendly. <laughs> I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> detectives Cutter and Driver got me really yeah, good. Yeah, that, that that's very good. Uh, I do like his, his added suggestion of Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell as the um, intermittent bad guys that keep popping up every couple of episodes. Yeah, yeah. I they're like yeah they're like the um, you know the, the all the henchmen that they're busting each week actually work for Steiner and Bagwell and they they get closer to them every week. They're like the persistent threat in the show. But I love the idea that like after they. Um, they have like the catchphrase Hoovy and and DDP that like you know after they've busted somebody they say you just got juicy banged which like for this period of time w- like wouldn't have been the weirdest thing people would say as a catchphrase on television probably yeah uh, who knows <laughs> <laughs> I've pure I've properly discussed the you with that one um Next up, Aaron Quinn says, La Parca in suit and mask is a party-loving detective who plays by his own <laughs> rules. Oh, I love a detective who plays by his own rules. Steve Regal is an agent from the UK sent overseas to track down a drug kingpin trafficking the new hallucinogenic Big Wiggle. Can they work together in time to save all of Mexico? I mean, listen, I'd watch that. Yeah. I just picture it being as like a... Have you ever seen Black Dynamite? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. The a long time where he's, ago. Where he's yeah. in the orphanage and he's like, I'm going to smack the shit out of you, kid. Or he's trying to smack the smack the, the heroin out of the kid who's mm-hmm. strung out. I just pictured that being La Parker. La Parker just going to an orphanage full of kids on smack and just walking <laughs> them with steel chairs. And then dancing on yeah. said steel chair. Absolutely. Oh, my uh, God. That's great. A detective who plays by his own rules absolutely got me there. Love it. Uh, I mean, I, I think you're underselling that the man controlling, you know, pumping out the big wiggle is obviously Norman Smiley. Norman Smiley. Yeah, yes. indeed. That's why he's travelled over Northampton's own via Mexico. Who else could it have been? <laughs> yeah, uh, then we go past Kieran, who mentions Bud Bagel, which I love very much. Mm-hmm. Um which is definitely like Bud Bagel is definitely like if uh, Buff was one of the cops and he was just around like eating pastries and stuff. Like that's what people would slag him off and call him Bud Bagel. He's in the uh, he's one of the background characters in Brooklyn Nine Nine. 
Yeah. If Buff was like a cop, he's the he's the one guy. Like he's like Mac in that season of It's Always Sunny, where like he's clearly putting on weight, but he keeps saying he's cultivating mass. Yes. <laughs> As he just eats his bud bagels. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we get Lee Craig who says Bam Bam Bigelow and Norman Smiley complete shot for shot remake of <laughs> Lethal Weapon. <laughs> And I mean, Norman Smiley cast cast as Danny Glover. I mean, that's what I gonna say. Like, I don't think there's a wrong way around to do it. Like, which one of them would be Riggs and which one would be Murta? I like either one. Like, either one of them as the loose cannon. You, you, would be I mean, amazing. Yeah, you you could totally see uh, Norman Smiley in, in the caravan with Rene Russo showing off all his gunshot wounds, just wiggling. <laughs> Then we have, like, Norman Smiley is a big hit in this yeah. hypothetical because next, Benny dangerously says Norman Smiley and Tank Abbott. Like, that's, okay, that's, like, the muscle and the, you know, and the weirdo. <laughs> the, yeah, the muscle. <laughs> um, is that all the suggestions? Uh, no, no. Oh, no, just one more. One more, uh, yeah. Uh, my good friend and yours, Mark Doyle, comes in with, well, one of them is obviously Goldberg in a prequel role to NCIS Los I did Angeles. not know he was in NCIS LA. <laughs> the question is, who was his partner? I reckon it was the grizzled vet type nearing retirement, possibly Dave Taylor. <laughs> and I would insist on, like, Dave Taylor following up. And do you remember when him and Regal were in that ladder match, the one where Joey Mercury's nose exploded? Yes. And do you remember the whole build to that match was that Dave Taylor was afraid of climbing a ladder? Was it? Yeah, in the build to that match, there was a whole thing as like, oh, the actual wrestler wrestlers don't like ladders. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, I like that. Um, Do we have anything else? Right. So you give me who would be your buddy cop Hold suggestions. On. Hold on. I'm just, I'm just double checking here. Okay, no, we got one more. Another one from Lee Craig. I love this. I knew this was still here. Set in Miami, 1988. Raven as undercover vice oh, detective yeah, Scotty Flamingo, a.k.a. Johnny Polo. <laughs> Ralphus as his pastel suit-wearing partner. Crime just met its match, quote the Raven. Do you know what I can see that one as? Do you remember they I, had the detective series in The Simpsons? Yeah, Homer yeah. Simpson? Where <laughs> was Wiggum and Skinner? No, do you remember? Do you remember there was the detective Homer Simpson and in the fourth, like oh, the pilot episode, yeah. he's all uh, cool and suave. Police cops. Yes, and then the next, you know, the actual first episode comes out and he's a fucking idiot. I was thinking it was like Scotty Flamingo and Ralphus down in Nolans, like Nolans, yeah, and with big, big Daddy as the as yeah. the uh, the evil. Yeah, well, I I'd kind of cast Ralphus as Big Daddy in that one, and, and then like, oh. Uh, would um, Raven and Lash Larue? Would Would Lodi be like you know the way Ralph Wiggum gets kidnapped in it? <laughs> Lodi, yes. <laughs> Raven going to get his Lodi back. Yeah. Then we have Travis Dyke who says Raven and Canyon. Obviously, uh, they sometimes help Raven's friend Jim, who's a private detective, getting kicked off the force for alcoholism. I love the idea that like Raven and Canyon are in this kind of buddy cop movie, but whenever it goes over to Jim, aka Sandman, mm-hmm. it's like a hard boiled noir. Yeah, it's like black. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or he's like calling women dames. <laughs> Just every room is filled with cigarette smoke. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, so, yeah, it's basically just him actually as Marv from Sin City because he's got like a gnarled fucking yeah, face, yeah, but it's just from hitting yeah. himself with cans. <laughs> it's just Sandman like ambling around. Ali's going, "There's a mighty fine coat you're wearing." <laughs> One just came in actually. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, I've got it here from Carrie the Gary, flannel and jeans, Hollywood Hogan, and long George Brenner <laughs> starting to force force. <laughs> <laughs> you have to finish it You have to finish it Star in Divorce Force Where two divorced dads solve crimes While trying to get back on the dating scene The tune is Jimmy Hart's version of I Will Survive Yep That's the winner <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm not well. <laughs> Would Brutus be in that as well? Oh, oh, we got another on Instagram, by the way, from from Dave, who says that the answer is obviously Steiner and Bagwell, um, which is you know like of a, an existing yeah. team on Thunder. Uh, oh my god, divorce force. Fuck. <laughs> I mean, they were all so good, but. I- hadn't read divorce for yeah no that that's killed me until i was saying it out loud i didn't know what i was gonna say reading it out i was like ron burgundy he'll just read anything that's on the prompter (laughs) right if you while while i recover (laughs) i was just gonna say if you are casting anybody what what are you going for um fuck i want like the um I want a good cop, bad cop situation. I like that, you know, one guy like really like doesn't play by the rules. Um, so I'm thinking. Okay, well, actually, no, I'll cast my chief of police first, Aaron Anderson. Okay, Aaron Anderson, chief of police, and like in the in the season finale. Like somebody tries to get out of the police headquarters and he pops up with a spine buster through a desk on the guy <laughs> as he's trying to escape. <laughs> like like how the rock would fit wrestling moves into every movie. Yeah. I think your uh cop that doesn't play by the rules is is gonna be Eddie Guerrero. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. That's good. And I think you're extremely straight laced, um, just wants to do his job and get out of there, but has maybe seen some shit and has a dark past, is Perry Saturn. I don't know if the guy with tattoos all over his body is the straight-laced... Yeah, yeah, I guess not. Like, who am I thinking? Maybe maybe Real Estate Steve. Oh, yeah, that, that, gets, that's a good combination. Get Sting in there. And, Sting oh, yeah, because like then at the end of the season, that guy who escapes maybe wings... Uh, Steve with a with a bullet and he's missing for half the second season but he's hanging up in the rafters of the police station <laughs> just painting blue lives matter on his face <laughs> his young son Darby wondering where he's gone <laughs> I've got a spooky child at home <laughs> Um, if, <laughs> I, I need this job. I gotta buy, I don't know, fucking skeletons or whatever. 
My boy can't afford to paint the other half of his face. <laughs> I had to get that black paint on layaway. <laughs> Fucking layaway. <laughs> um, what about you? Right. Well, like I say, you, you by not seeing Twenty One Jump Street, you've you've killed my bit. Sorry, um, well, the, the Thunder Buddies will appreciate it. Yeah. Um, uh, do you, contrary do you know, to popular belief, we're not just here to pop each other. Oh, we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know you know the premise of 21 Drum Street? It's like, yes. police chief, ice cube, two very obviously not teenagers going back to, to a high school to bust uh, a drug ring. Yeah. So my idea would be that uh, Macho Man... Takes up the role as the police, uh, police chief, chief of police, <laughs> <laughs> the, the kind of scary, intimidating guy that you know kicks their asses when when necessary, mm-hmm. and the uh, two very different but very obviously not teenagers going back back to high school. You have the straight laced Billy Kidman, <laughs> yeah, and his tough older brother who was very popular in high school in his day but now is you know jocks aren't cool so Kevin Ash oh yeah yeah Kevin Ash in the Channing Tatum role and Billy Kidman as uh, Jonah Hill would he insist on being called like Kevin Sexy or something in the show oh his character name would have to have like some some kind of I'm trying to think what what, what would you call him Ooh. What's his name in John Wick? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. Mr. Vick. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking more he'd be kind of closer to his role in uh, Magic Mike. Yeah. Pos- like, I mean, <laughs> definitely Sleazy. in real life he's closer to that role. He's <laughs> probably just popping those jocks off. <laughs> and he's fucking... Somehow in high school he's still just drinking wine all the time. Yeah. Or what if he's going by like Big Sergeant Cool? <laughs> Big Sergeant Cool. Yeah. Everyone's With an attitude like that, you'll never make Big Captain Cool. <laughs> oh God, that was a good bit. That was a that was a good segment. I enjoyed that. Got Thank you so much to the Thunder Buddies. I I absolutely needed that uh, today, and with uh, the show we have to talk about. Fucking hell, that was great. Right, the divorce force definitely wins. Oh my god! If if we named our pay per view episodes, this would be getting named divorce force. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> Jesus! Oh, like my chest hurts. Oh, right. <laughs> WCW sold out nineteen ninety nine, dated January seventeenth nineteen ninety nine, from Charleston, West Virginia. In the Charleston Civic Center, uh, Lee. Before we kind of like talk about this opening package here, what do you think about having a pay per view seventeen days into the new year? I was just as I heard you saying seventeenth of January, I'm going, how the fuck are we only two weeks or three weeks into the into the year? Yeah, it feels like it's been a long time since Starcade. And it also feels like they weren't necessarily bothering their holes, like because I think there was like was it one Nitro after um after the pay-per-view after Starcade but before the new year and it really doesn't feel like they they properly got going 
with the build is sold out no, until like they, the first thunder of the year and the first nitro of the year. They literally got to January 4th, did the big switch, hmm. and now it's just like, eh, fuck it, they're sold out in a couple of days, just put matches on. And there's definitely a bunch of guys who are inexplicably on this show and around backstage, but like you would think would be on a big let's kick off the year right pay-per-view, but are just fucking coasting it. This very much feels like everything is fucking selling, like we're doing mega business, it's fine, don't put on a fucking show. Like the idea that, uh, you know, in particular, Nash and Hogan, who are part of like the huge controversy and world title switch not two weeks ago mm-hmm. in 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 timeline do not have a match on this show no but inexplicably show for what three minutes yeah yeah well a little bit longer actually it was longer than that because yeah so it's not even like it's a travel thing or they were booked to do something else or hogan had a movie or, or something like that no they're there they just aren't fucking ours booking them or also, just as likely, the boys aren't fucking arse wrestling. Because well, let's, let's not forget Kevin Nash is the smartest booker in the history of wrestling. That's what I was going to say. Let's not forget who has that book and can put mm-hmm. himself on every show he wants. He just doesn't want. Um, yeah, I'm not into, like, I, put it this way. I'm not wild about doing a pay-per-view this early. But if you would do it, like, put the mega push on it. The mm-hmm. rumble can happen whenever it likes in January because the rumble sells that show. But what the fuck sells sold out? Do you mean one of the things that theoretically would have sold sold out before was that it was one of the big cross NWO pay-per-views mm-hmm. um, that had the NWO branding all over it. But Carrick, yeah, yeah, this pay-per-view is all about how it's a WCW in control again um, this time. So that's fucking launched out the, the window. Um, so yeah, I, I just like, and it really, you know, when we got to the end of three hours, it really felt like we promised the pay-per-view company 12 in the year. So we had to do it. That's exactly what my takeaway was going to be. It was, we contractually have to do this show. So here's the show. Yeah. Now, if they had called it WCW contractually obliged, I would be much more on board with it. (laughs) Like if they were just putting on front street as like tonight, we will not try. And with the exception of, you know, four men, really, almost nobody put in a shift on this show. I'm waiting to find out who these four men were. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, you know, and I, I'm being generous with those four men, and they're all in one match, if you, if you haven't figured it out yet. But, um, yeah, like Nash is missing from my match on this show. Same with Hogan. Same mm-hmm. with Raven, same DDP. with Paige, um, Steve Stinger gone as well. Um, he's gone for a while though. Yeah, he's he's just injured, isn't he? Yeah, Brett yeah. Brett is gone. Yeah. Um, who else is missing off the show? Macho Man showed up and is gone again. Yeah, <laughs> Macho showed up is gone again. Warrior is gone, obviously. Thank fuck. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is what's advocating like bring back Warrior for sold out. Um, um here's it's really thing. sparse. How many title matches are on the show? Uh, one? One. Yeah, the Cruiserweight. Yep, there's one title match on the pay-per-view. Yeah, now granted, multiple champions are present on the show. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it, it's just inexplicable that yeah. they 
put on this fucking show at all. Like it's yeah. just and it it's bad. Like it's really bad. And and can I say the one title that is defended on this show is nowhere near the main event. No. The main event is a stupid stip match. And something else I want to say right up top as we get into it is holy hell. Like it seems like they're doing a prayer circle to summon Vince Russo. Between the last show we were talking about like this feels like Russo and he's mm-hmm. months away from being there yet. And I'm just getting more and more of a stench. Like it's funny because I thought I would, when we eventually years from now get to the far side of thunder and get to the end, I feel like I would have a more complete picture about just how much Vince Russo is culpable for the end of world championship wrestling. But like, Really, at worst, he can just be said to have, like, sped it up by six or nine months. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, like, it was heading in a Russo-esque direction long before he arrived. And it is no wonder to me anymore why they wanted him. To, to use the Titanic analogy, they've hit the iceberg at this point. Russo just fucking reversed and drove head-on into the iceberg to fucking speed things up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, bro, bro, the you know, the politics of icebergs, bro. <laughs> and it's funny that, you know, Russo has kind of started coming up on our show because I've been listening to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, the TNA podcast that Garrett and Liam do. Excellent show. Shout out, Garrett Kidney. Um, and they have been bemoaning the influence of one Vincent Russo on that show. And it was funny that I saw on Twitter yourself and Garrett had a, a wee little interaction about David Flair also showing up on both timelines at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, we will yeah. have, we'll have to get in touch with the you got to be kidding me boys at some stage because it seems like we have much to, to discuss. Yes, uh, much in common. Yeah, we can we can even just start a, like a support group with each other it doesn't have to actually result in content we could just go lads it's shit isn't it yeah it's really shit you think yours is shit wait you see how shit ours is um right let's do this lee let's gird our loins we kick off with a world championship wrestling special report and this is where it finally dawned on me it's like oh they're doing the like because we're coming into an election year that's why they're doing all this president stuff mm-hmm. i don't know why it took me this long for it to dawn on me because this is a proper like presidential press conference i did get a good yuck out of the presidential seal of the president of world championship wrestling in the background of his of his uh white house communications room that he had here flair um also you know i thought about it and i was talking about this on twitter is like is there a man on this earth in the wrestling business that is more equipped on multiple levels to play bill clinton or to understand the lifestyle of one Billy Big Time than Ric Flair. I don't know. Ric Flair never played saxophone. That is true. That is true. But I think there are there are other ways in which Flair is uh, more than a match uh, for Mr. Clinton here. Um, I don't know. Probably neither of them voted for Hillary either. Something that I thought was a cool... Uh, Something that I thought was a cool um, thing they did, but I think it was a couple of years before like TV graphics were good enough for this to look as cool as it probably was in their heads, was that as he's talking, like the NWO style static and black and white keeps trying to break through the feed. Yeah. I liked that. 
Um, it was subtle enough that it didn't take over the whole thing. Like it happened a good amount of times, but yeah. if you weren't kind of paying attention, you wouldn't have thought anything of it. Yeah. For a second, I was like, "Fuck me!" It's Solomon Crow. Um, <laughs> it's never Solomon Crow. It's never Solomon. Even when it is Solomon Crow, it's not Solomon Crow. Um, I also like then I listened to the words of his statement because I kind of got distracted by the effects and the you know the presidential seal and stuff like that. So we round it and I listened to his words. And it's very much one of those everything is fine type statements. It's mm-hmm. like, WCW is fine. I'm back in control. Everything is good now. Please don't leave. Yeah, it's like um, he's talking about, you know, those who turned their back on WCW and the ones who stayed loyal through the whole time and didn't join the NWO. And mm. it's very much like, oh, WCW was reunited and we're in charge and yeah. it's our company and blah, 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 blah. A couple of lines about loyalty that Rick has in the ring later on as well. Um, so it's a theme of which, the night. Which is funny considering what happens. Mm. Um, so big pyro and we're live in the Charleston Civic Center. Uh, I do love, by the way, so the we talked about how, you know, one of the selling points was this is now WCW sold out. The NWO branding has gone off it. But I really like that in kayfabe, World Championship Wrestling are too cheap to get new signs. So there's just big red X's yeah. on top of everything. I, lo- I love it. That That's like... Way to w- look yourselves you know, look w- rinky-dink. It does, but it's also the, the right level of petty for me. Yeah. I think if this was a successful company and things actually like were going creatively very well, I'd think it was cute and a bit clever. But mm-hmm. like the fact that I know where things are going, it kind of just makes it all look like everything's held together with a bit of scotch tape, you know? Uh, listen, th- this is the company that around this time is spending, what, a couple of million on a new set for Nitro? Mm. So. Yeah, true. Um... So in the middle of hyping up the show, our our panel, by the way, our commentators are uh, Tony, Brain, and Tanae. This seems now, this is the longest period we've had without any real change to that. Mm-hmm. So we seem to be locked in until the the era of Scott Hudson and, and Mark Madden some months down the line. Who shows up yeah. ominously. Yeah, he has been hovering around that internet location for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um. When did he, st- do you, uh, like, you probably don't know this offhand. I just wonder, when did he stop writing for The Torch? Wasn't he fired from The Torch? Yeah, yeah. When was that? Was that before this, or was there, like, an overlap where he's doing both? I want to say it was before this, and I'm trying to remember back exactly. Do you know what it was? There was a lawsuit yeah. involving the WWF, and I think it was, like, the conflict of interest kind of thing. And I think Madden had written some fucking horrible shit as well at one point. And Mark Madden, think, never. And I think Wade's just kind of fucking cut toys. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, while the lads are hyping up the pay-per-view, we get word from backstage and we cut there. And Goldberg is down and hurt on the ground, gripping his leg. And I'm already like, wait, well, this is like a record time for shenanigans. Uh, on a pay-per-view but also i gotta love like how annoyed goldberg was that the camera crew wa- mm-hmm. walked in it's like like a young lad being caught wanking or something do you know what? i was about to make the same analogy <laughs> it's like he had that energy of like mom get out get out get out <laughs> get out get out and i love I'm just the- I'm just sorting my socks <laughs> i love 
that the dressing room doesn't have his name on it. Yeah. It's obviously just a room. There's like nobody else in it. <laughs> just, and it just the says, camera crew's like Bill Guan in there for a while now. It just says star dressing room star dressing room C. <laughs> so he doesn't even get the A or the B. He gets no, C. C. Um, we start off this pay per view with an Enos alert. <laughs> That's right. A man described on commentary as Mean Mark Enos, which I will shorten now to Meanus, uh, is you mean, here. Mean Mike Enos. Oh, Mean... Did I say Mean Mark Mean Enos? Mark. <laughs> oh, my God. Now there's a buddy cop. Mike Enos and Mean Mark. <laughs> Holy mean shit. Brothers. Oh, my God. So, Mean Mike Enos. Meanus. He is He's here. a real mean Enos. And it's uh, Mike Enos versus Chris Benoit. Um, thankfully, this does. This is one of the shorter matches in the show, but uh, I I do enjoy when people try go toe to toe with Benoit very early, and Benoit just says, do "You know what? Uh, I'm actually just gonna beat the shit out of you," and he absolutely lit this man's chest up within a couple of minutes. This was an incredibly chafed Enos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Benoit beat up the Enos. The Enos was red raw within a couple of minutes here. You can, you, you just take this. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I've got nothing on this. <laughs> You've got nothing on the Enos. I'm not touching the Enos this time. You're not touching the Enos. Well, it sounds like it'll be very sore because <laughs> it's very tender. Should I mean, after Go- after Goldberg getting caught touching his anus. That's what happens when you touch the anus too much. Just again. <laughs> it's just what happens when you touch the anus in public. Yeah, absolutely. It's against the law, kids. Um, <laughs> so, anus <laughs> uh, in this, despite like not having much of like a height advantage or anything like that, uh, does try and reach into the large man playbook with bear hugs, corner tackles, that kind of stuff. Uh, I did appreciate Brain, who uh, very much is a kindred spirit of mine, who shouted at one stage, Enos has taken a beating here. Um, (laughs) You know, great minds and all that. Uh, He's definitely kind of like, he's at that stage of his little heel turn that he started a, a while ago, where he doesn't really have a defined heel character. He's just defined by trying to wind up the crowd when he doesn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's just doing the thing where he's, like, uh, you know, cup in the ear and, and stuff like that, just antagonizing the fans. It's really kind of, like, hammy uh, and, and cheap. Do you know what? I think the crowd were actually into this match. They were. I don't think they were necessarily into him. But, yeah, I, I think, like, it's the thing about the openers. Like, if you do well in the opener, the crowd are fresh and, and they're ready for it. Um, now, granted, it wasn't long before this Charleston, West Virginia crowd were stone fucking dead. But yes, they, they, they were reacting. They were made to suffer worse than Enos's chest. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things in wrestling, and something Jericho does a lot um, as a heel, is... Uh, <laughs> I love when a heel who is lucky by the grace of God to have a moment where he's on top of the match immediately starts giving it the big one. 
<laughs> so like there's a bit where Enos kind of like he he gets the heat on Benoit and he's just immediately like, yeah, you know, and giving it loads to the crowd. It's just like, oh my God. Um, Benoit ducks uh, on a whip rebound, uh, waist lock into German suplexes, connects with the headbutt, uh, but Enos gets up first. And it's kind of one of those... Sometimes with the headbutt, like obviously, you know, we take the whole CTE thing out of it, obviously, like never should have mm-hmm. done the headbutt, blah, blah, blah. But like... Sometimes he would sell the headbutt to the point where within kayfabe he looks like an absolute idiot. For doing it, yeah. Yeah, and and like sometimes in storyline that pays off, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, Benoit risked it all on on this type of move, blah, 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 in a real desperation finish. But this is against Mike Enos. You know, like Mm -hmm. you don't don't do the oversell of the headbutt against Mike Enos. Like he doesn't, God bless him, he hasn't earned it. Um. (laughs) Benoit gets up and he tries to chase Enos into the corner and uh, Enos lashes out with a desperation elbow followed by one of the worst lariats I've ever seen in my goddamn life Uh, obviously something went wrong because he picks Benoit up immediately and tries to do the spot again yep Benoit was supposed to catch yeah he was supposed to catch the arm on the first lariat yeah Yeah. catches him in the crossface taps him Uh, like it wasn't the worst Mike Enos' performance, it wasn't the worst opener we've ever seen on these shows, but, like, there's definitely something to be said of, like, putting somebody in there with somebody who is so clearly superior to kind of get ring miles on and and figure things out a bit. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you do that, and it's very clear that the guy who is better is doing an absolute carry job, and that's what this was. Was there ever any doubt who was winning this match? No. No. Not one day in my mind. A nice little Thunder match. That's all yeah. it was. Yeah. This would have been like, we would have, if this had been on Thunder and been this long, mm-hmm. we would have been like, do you know what? Pretty good use of a segment. But like as yeah. an opener on a pay-per-view where, again, it's something as long as we've been doing this show, we've talked about the art of the perfect pay-per-view opener. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't it, Chief. Um, That's for sure. Um, Then we get a video package for the stun gun. Uh, and I've got to say, this video package featured some utterly fucking demented Mario music. <laughs> I like more so than any other company I can think of. The difference, like the gap between the ceiling and the floor on video packages in this company, mm-hmm. is fucking enormous. Yeah, when they get it right, it's really good, like WWF level. Yeah, when they get it wrong. It's this. <laughs> yeah. And this is and the that, year as well in WWF where they really start to hit the, all those melodramatic mm-hmm. video packages that are great. And let's not forget that this is an ad or a video package for a match that's on this pay-per-view that yeah. you've already paid for. Not only that, but as we would later find out, it's the main event. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know why in the back of my head, I just assumed there was like a title match I forgot about. <laughs> And then when uh, when Buffer comes out later, I'm like, is he out for the last few matches? No. Um, I mean, look, if this... I, I don't remember exactly what happened on the last Thunder, but I don't remember seeing this. The video package? No. Yeah. No, they definitely didn't have it. They talked about the fucking stun going a lot, but, but they, they didn't have didn't, the video package. Yeah. Like, this is just something that should have been on Thunder, not on the fucking pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Talk about um, filling time. 
It's also funny that, you know, um, listening to Goldberg talking about the, the who's next thing. And it's like, it's very clear that in 1999, he's already trying to move on from who's next. And I feel bad because he's still in 2021 trying to move on from who's next. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you hit a good catchphrase, you hit a good catchphrase, lads. What can I say? Ke- Kevin Dunn is just like, say the fucking lion. Next up, we have maybe the funniest gag on the whole show. Uh, that doesn't turn into a funny gag for long, but like in the moment, it popped me huge. And that was Norman Smiley emerging with what I immediately recognized to be an urn containing the remains of Pepe, which I thought tremendous. And then mm-hmm. later on, when it is revealed that the ashes are literal sawdust, popped again. Oh, did you not see? He literally opens the urn and throws sawdust at the fence. So I saw him throw, like, you know, I was watching it on a small screen. I hadn't switched it to my big TV, so it just looked like dust. And I thought, oh, it should have been sawdust. And then later on, when he's taunting Chavo, you can see him pull out clumps of yeah, sawdust. Like and that wood, was when wood, I was gone. Wood chippings, yeah. Yeah. Um... So, Smiley has a fantastic time mocking a fuming Chavo who comes out, because that is the match. It's Norman versus Chavo's porn music. And um, Chavo was incensed, starts off like a house of fire, and after that, it is all Norman Smiley for almost this whole match. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very funny that, like, obviously, I don't know what combination of Agent and Norman Smiley it was, but somebody in the chain of command did not trust Chavo to lead more than about 20 seconds of this match at a time. And I can't say they were incorrect. Yeah, like we said, like, Chavo has improved from where he began, but even recent on recent performances, there's been a lot of botches and a lot of fucking missteps. Yeah. And putting him in there with Norman is obviously giving him a safe pair of hands to lead him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this match just went on and on. Yeah. And on. Do you know what it was reminiscent of? <laughs> <laughs> so this feels like a weird comparison, but you're going to have to follow, follow me with it. WrestleMania 22. Vince McMahon versus Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. And how that beating went on and on to the point where I remember like the people I watched it with, it went on for so long. People worked themselves into going, well, Brett's coming out or yeah. so, some because, you know, the whole Brett thing had happened that weekend with him. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it him being inducted, but not showing up? Yeah. Um. So people had worked themselves into, oh, it must be like because it's going on way too long for like Sean to just win. Oh, Vince was literally getting sympathy. Yeah. And. Sean did win. Now, I love that match. That match is fabulous. Um, you know. Uh, oh, it's a, it's a great insight into an insane fucking 60-year-old man yeah. just taking an ass with him. Yeah, like him getting his head put through the Muscle and Fitness magazine. Uh, him lapping up Shane being thrown into his ass. Like, just... Doesn't he take a sick chair shot as well? Like, a legit, like, oh, chair to yeah. the head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he takes a brain scrambler. Um, but... It, it, in the same thing that this match just went on and on to the point where you're like right something's happening and then nothing did um stop me if you've heard this one before lee this match was immediately terrible every time chavo was trying to do something yep that, there was one instance where he goes for a roll-up and i'm pretty sure he loses norman like as soon as he starts going for the move it's just mm-hmm. 
he's so inconsistent and so like 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 you said like I don't blame the agents for not trusting him yeah he hasn't earned the trust no and um I gotta say like the beating was so one-sided for most of this match that like instead of like maybe part of the goal because like obviously his horse had been incinerated it seems like the goal was maybe to get sympathy on Chavo but fire, fire him up maybe like he had been in the Eddie feud yeah but what ends up happening here is that Chavo just looks like a dweeb mm-hmm. you know he looks like just this crazy child <laughs> that Norman's just slapping around at will um, what, and- what did you think of Norman's teases for the big wiggle I did love it. What a, a master psychologist. He knew that the, the wiggle's already over, man. Oh, yeah. It's, it's over, over yeah. huge. Um, so, yeah, like I said, he's teasing it for a while. And then when the, when that wiggle is unleashed in all its fury, the crowd will lose it. It's the only time mm-hmm. they're really animated in this. Um, so even when Chavo is fighting back, it feels less like Norman's in peril and more like a minor inconvenience, like he's just swatting off a fly or something. Mm-hmm. And... It got to the point where Smiley was really showboating when he started breaking out the big wiggle. And I assumed, and this assumption was also voiced on commentary by Tony Schiavone, who was, by the way, Tony Schiavone's bullshit meter on this was going off like crazy. He Mm -hmm. did not enjoy this show. It was very clear. But Tony was just like, he's showboating so much that like, surely this is going to give Chavo an opening. But it doesn't. At which point I, I typed, I'm going to be so pissed if Chavo just wins out of nowhere. Um, Roll of out of nowhere. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what it, like, if this was Raw, that's what would happen. Um, Chavo's Nicky Ash. So things start, speaking of ashes, uh, things start speedy, speeding up when <laughs> Smiley gets the urn, throws the sawdust in Chavo's eye, and then gets the chicken wing and wins. At Excuse least me, sir, that... That is the Norman Conquest. It is indeed. My which apologies. is one of the best names for a move. Yeah, indeed. I believe that's the second time you brought... I need to remember it's the Norman Conquest <laughs> now that they've started calling it that. Next up, far out, man. It's Fit Finley versus Van Hammer. I immediately wrote, why is this match fucking happening? This isn't even a Thunder match. No. Like, this is... like. This is pathetic, putting this on the pay-per-view. I wrote, there are TV feuds that don't make some of these pay-per-views, and yet you just pull random names out of a fucking Tombola for this crap. Like, sh- I- shout out to rest of the crap for Tombola use on a podcast. <laughs> this will tell you how bad this match was. I went on Cage Match to search up how many times this match has to have happened in WCW, yeah. like across all th- all the shows and house shows. How many times do you think this match happened? It's either lots or this is the only one. So I'm going to say this is the only one. This is the only fucking one. <laughs> they learned their mistake. I, I could not believe it. Yeah. You put this match on for the first time ever. They have never been in the ring together. And you put it on a pay-per-view. And then you find out why they've never been in the same ring together. I I was fucking flabbergasted it's just you talk about wasting precious pay-per-view time on yeah. these two in fucking 1999 like, i'm not even saying you need to like you know one of the other tv feuds that's slow burning like you don't necessarily need to put like you know wherever this raven stuff is going on a match on pay-per-view but like just this is like a 10 minute match 
just get rid of this 10 minute match and give like five other matches two extra minutes Booker T is on fucking like Booker T is shows up on the internet fucking WCW.com thing with Madden at one stage yeah to set up a match for Nitro give him a showcase match Give me Booker T against Kaz Hayashi or something. Yeah. Like just there is a guy something. that I'm happy. Like throw him in a random match. No, we get Finley, who, as we've established on the show, is shit. Yeah. He doesn't get good until he shows up in WWF. By the way, I I I I, <laughs> I tweeted how much I was fucking struggling, and who was the first person to like it? Alan Forel. <laughs> A man who has long been a Finley's not good in WCW truther. Um, I mean, it's just not. I so here's here's my thing about this match. Within thirty seconds, they just grabbed a hold. Yep. And I just wrote, I refuse to review this match. Yeah, I have no notes on this. Yeah. Tombstone finish. Um, and the only other thing of note is that I did laugh at um. Bobby Heenan calling it a fireman's cabbage roll. Did you not call it the Irish cabbage roll? Oh, was the Irish cabbage roll? I thought it was the Irish cabbage roll, yeah. Great stuff. And, you know, us being Irish people, we can laugh at that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> at least he didn't go to potatoes. Potatoes is the easy one. Do you know what I mean? He went cabbage. <laughs> Maybe he's just not a potato man. No. Um, oh, God, I hate cabbage, Lee. <laughs> I hate cabbage almost as much as I hate this match. I I don't hate cabbage. I'm not a big hater of cabbage. Because I can't abide the smell of cabbage cooking. And I know it doesn't smell like that once it is cooked, but I can't stop thinking about what it smells like when it's being cooked if I try to eat so you're it. Not, you're not a big cabbage juice person, then? My, no. My grandfather is <laughs> no. a, a huge cabbage enthusiast. And, like, he used to... He's from that old generation that thinks it's, like, hilarious to slag off the wife's cooking, even though he loves it. Okay. So he slag, he'd slag off my granny's cooking and like he was having cabbage one day and he goes, you know what, actually, you know, if I had a big plate of cabbage, it'd be better than this stuff. <laughs> and then the following day, my granny was like, you know what, I'll, I'll show him. So she made him a big plate of cabbage. And when I say a big plate of cabbage, like I'm talking, not only was the plate full horizontally, but we're talking like at, at least an inch of height worth of cabbage <laughs> on this plate. And the fucker ate the whole thing. He didn't, though. I have never come closer to throwing up (laughs) just by watching someone eat their dinner and he had a great time eating it all he had on it was a little bit of salt the fucker played her that's what he did he played her oh he did oh like a fiddle like it turns out he actually (laughs) did want that he wasn't bluffing and he had a great time now my my dad's thing was to cook cabbage and then drain it and drink the cabbage juice once it cooled down is that like one of those, do you know those old wives' tales, like, that it's good for this or that? Yeah. Oh, right, okay. I'm assuming that's what it is, yeah. whereas I would just be like, I'll eat the cabbage, I'm not yeah. drinking that fucking shit. Uh, my, my grand is full of those. Like, the there was one time I had, like, I think I had, like, a mild infection in my eye, and he was trying to get me to soak a potato in milk and put it on my face. I've never heard that one. Oh, I don't even think that was one, to be honest. Like, that just seems like a demented thing that he's mixing up, like, two different old wives' tales. (laughs) Oh. All right, okay, I'll tell you what. Instead of covering this match, I've got one more story about my granddad, right? Okay. So my granddad, with the best will in the world, is a loon. And I mean that in a very endearing way, Mm -hmm. that he is a loon. 
he is a strange man. <laughs> we, it, it, I just have never in my 33 years, uh, nearly 33 years on this planet, been able to understand him. One day, because I used to live with him, one day I came downstairs into the kitchen and he was facing out the back window, so with his back to me as I came into the kitchen. And I thought, in spite of my better judgment, that I would engage him in conversation. <laughs> I said to him, hey, what you doing there? As I walked up beside him, and he goes, Did you see out there, do you? Pointing out the window. I said, yeah. He says, um, you don't see any of magpies out there, do you? I said, no, I... I, I don't usually see magpies out our back garden. Like, why? why, why? Like, he goes, do you know why you don't? I said, well, probably because there are never magpies out there, but why do you think there are no magpies out there? And he said, do you see out there? And I said, yeah, the table. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you see on top of the table? I said, yeah, there's a little pile of something. And he goes, yeah, that's why. So do you know what he'd done? Right? He decided in his head that magpies were stealing his apples (laughs) off his tree. So he got a a bunch of porridge oats. Okay. Not too bad. And crushed up expired sleeping pills into them (laughs) to drug the birds. (laughs) Well... Now we've established the origin story for why it's called K-Town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, later on, I said, I better, I better tell my granny this because the man... Sorry, how old, how old were you at this point? So I was about 15 or 16. So you were old enough to know what a, what a sleeping tablet would do. And he would have been, like, if not in his 70s, nearly in his 70s. Like, he was definitely past retirement age. Old enough to know better. Oh, by far, which is a running theme of stories I tell about him. And I said, I'd I'd tell my granny because the man was clearly unhinged um, (laughs) on this particular one because he gets these notions into his head and doesn't let them go for a while. And I said, well, I can't be on Magpie Watch 24-7 around here. I've got things to do at the age of 16. I don't know what the fuck things to do meant. But I said... You'd rot watch. I said, did Granda tell you about the magpies yes he told me about the magpies i said and, and what do we think of that and she said look sleeping pills were the compromise i said excuse me she goes yes originally he was going to crush glass and put it in forage oats and she goes there was also a few minutes where he said he was going to drive up the north and get fireworks to shoot at the birds I am just glad your granddad didn't have a pelican. Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, and the thing is, Lee, as, you know, as we progress through life and you may meet friends of mine who have met my grandfather, they will tell you that none of these stories resemble an exaggeration whatsoever. So I want to know, did, did the uh, magpies come back? No, but once again, Lee, I, I must point out they weren't there in the first place. So like, there was never any magpies, is what you're in, telling me. In a way, he succeeded, because the magpie population, specifically in the back garden <laughs> of our house in Nace, remained at zero. So as a deterrent, I cannot argue its effectiveness. I would just I mean, argue its necessity in the first place. So 
<laughs> so where has Apple's going? No, I, I just think it was a bad year for Apple's and there weren't that many, <laughs> to be honest. The neighbor wasn't, you know, having vast amounts of apple pie. And the thing is, it's not like we were, like, dependent on the apple tree for survival or anything like that. He didn't really eat that many of them. But it was just the principle of the thing. So like, he thought, he thought there was some vast magpie conspiracy <laughs> to fuck him out of his apples that year. I'm just wondering how many, like, was, was he harvesting the apples and counting and going, oh, we're, we're five short this year? Look, I, I don't try and gaze into the face of madness. I just try to roll with the punches. Um, And to this day, if I ever brought it up, he'd be like, well, they never took my apples again. I was like, I, yeah, I don't think they took your apples before, but fair enough. <laughs> It's one of those things where you know what kind of an older generation of men sometimes you just kind of nod and let them think they've won and they go happily about life. I'm just fascinated by if he feels he won this war. Yeah. Uh, some other day on the podcast I'll tell you about when I was in hospital and he came in slagging off the nearly dead elderly men in the beds around me uh, <laughs> like he was doing five minutes at the fucking improv. Yeah. That was a real fucking time because he could just walk out of the hospital room but I was still stuck to a couple of drips in there and had to make conversation with those men when my granda wasn't fucking down Doing at the his best Norm MacDonald. Yeah, yeah, standing <laughs> up in front of a fucking brick wall. Jesus. Right. Move on. Come on, Lex Luger. <sighs> no, it's not. It's Wrath and Bam Bam. Sorry. Yes, it is. We had a flare tag video package first but then we get into Wrath and Bam Bam. And, I, you know... For the briefest of time, Lee, I thought the bammer was going to save us because for the first minute, this ruled because they just started slugging each other. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I want a big boy match here. That's what I need to rescue this pay-per-view. Uh, unfortunately, the crowd did not care and that sucked no. all the air out of this. And I can't blame either of them too much for not really trying because... Even when this was awesome for thirty to forty-five seconds, the crowd didn't give a fuck. No, the crowd were the crowd were gone at this stage, and they were never coming back. Um, yeah, the only thing that got them back was literally a couple of entrances and finishers, and that was it. Mm -hmm. I, f I found it funny that um, I think it's Tanay is giving Ric Flair credit for bringing Bam Bam into the company. Yeah, uh, well, sorry for giving him his opportunity in WCW. Yeah. Interesting timeline there. Because, um, yeah, doesn't Bam Bam show up and have his first match pre um, Starcade? He surely does, because he was in World War Three. No, he wasn't. He interfered in well, World he War Well, he was there. He was at World War Three. He'd been in for they, a couple of weeks at that stage. They had the, uh, remember the triangle match on the pre Starcade Nitro? Yes. Yep. Bam Bam, Nash and Goldberg. Mm -hmm. um, so Bam Bam was already in the company. But also, it's funny that... <coughs> In 1989, Ric Flair refused to work with Bam Bam Bigelow mm. because he felt like he was a jobber in the WWF and below his level. Man. But now he's getting credit. Poor Bam Bam. I love Bam Bam. I, I enjoy a good Bam Bam, but he was not good here. This was not good, Bam Bam. Um, the crowd kind of buy him as a heel, but the thing is, they really don't give a fuck about Wrath. 
and especially yeah, not wrapped, wrapped is kind of dead they want to see wrath like just do power moves and meltdowns and that's it like they have no mm-hmm. interest in wrath and peril um and when he's on top they were kind of already checked out on the match um i'm willing on this occasion lead to give wrath an out because again the last match seemed to kill the crowd dead and i think his booking of late has done him no favors yeah it's look ever since the the nash match where he took the streak rat has been very aimless yeah it's um we've said it several times on the show about you know the dismount from a winning streak um, and it can absolutely hobble a guy if you don't do it well, mm-hmm. and this is a classic example of it. Um, Bam Bam beats Wrath with the greetings from Asbury Park. Next up, for the first time in a while, the crowd comes to life uh, for Conan's entrance music. Uh, K-Dog over as hell in West Virginia tonight. It's Conan versus Lex Luger. Uh, Conan says they started this, but he's going to set it straight. He also says that Lex is gonna, and I quote, toss his salad. Uh, Lex and peel his potatoes. And peel his potatoes. Uh, Lex came out then and says we could do this the easy way or the hard way. Shock of all shocks, Conan picks the hard way and starts beating a pillar to post. Uh, Lex has to roll out for a break. He gets knocked off the apron again then with one punch. The crowd is hot for this one, even though the action isn't great. They're definitely into these guys. Um, mm-hmm. The guys are going fast by their standards, but not necessarily fast enough to explain how within maybe 90 seconds to two minutes, the two of them are covered in sweat and sucking air. The two of them are gassed very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite tropes in WCW is Lex Luger betrays people and everybody is surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, this is a man who, since 1988, has been turning his back on everybody. Yeah. It's like second only to Sting being surprised when he gets betrayed by people. Anybody. Yeah, anybody. <laughs> anybody at And all. it's mostly Lex. Mostly Lex. <laughs> um, yeah, Lex is just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if they weren't so gassed and if they were a little bit better, I actually do enjoy the story they were trying to tell here where like Conan mm-hmm. is betrayed and he's fighting with like raw emotion, which is why he's so furious with his strikes and he's, you know, going as fast as Conan can. Uh, whereas Lex is more methodical and he's focusing in on the back to set up the rack. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Conan- and I, I, do, I do like the story of Steiner has been planting the seeds for what, since November. Mm. We've been seeing this kind of like Big Papa Pump is in charge of the black and white and he wants Lex. Yeah, the overture is being made and, and, <laughs> and it's finally um, worked. I think Bobby even says on commentary, he's like, I always assumed um, that Lex was closer to Rick Steiner. Mm. Yeah, that, that's good stuff. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I do like that. I just would prefer not to see him wrestle, to be honest. Uh, Conan hits the ropes, which is a very charitable way to put it. Uh, it's more like he gently caresses the ropes. Um, into a bear hug. Uh, Conan finally gets on top in this match for a sustained period when Elizabeth comes out. As Conan locks in the tequila sunrise, Elizabeth sprays him in the eyes uh, with spray paint. Lex puts on the rack and Conan taps. Uh, Not up to much because neither of these guys seem to have a fucking ounce of cardio worth a damn. I feel like guys that are even about 20% better, even with the fuck finish, could have had a more interesting match than this. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, it's one of those things where we have to give it that this was this got over. You yeah, know? it was over to live crowd, and it's one of them things like in the moment. I'm sure people kind of enjoyed it, whereas we know that's going nowhere. <laughs> but this is the beginning of the on-screen relationship between Lex and Elizabeth that we know turns into the off-screen yep. Lex and Elizabeth. Indeed. So this is uh, the first, but certainly not the, the last time you will, will see them associated. They pretty much are associated for the, the rest of this company's history uh, with mm-hmm. like maybe the odd break here or there. Um, next up, we have Saturn versus Jericho with Ralphus in um, the Loser Must Wear a Dress match. Um, and it had been noted on uh, commentary as they were coming out that it's not just Saturn must wear a dress if he loses, it's whoever loses the match must wear a dress. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I only notice now that this referee, the, the one who's the, the referee in this match, is coincidentally the, the referee that, that Jericho has been kind of uh, brainwashing the last while. Um, has serious, uh, like, I don't know if you're going to get this reference, but serious Rich Evans vibes about him, for, for those of you no. who know who I'm talking about. Uh, I do not get that one. I will, I will explain off the air, my friend. <coughs> serious Rich Evans vibes uh, off this guy. Uh, I will say, Ralphus's moustache and back hair both growing in nicely here. Um, we are reminded, yes, that the loser must wear a dress, not just Saturn. Uh, Jericho, <laughs> within seconds, gets a reverse headlock in and immediately shouts, Ask him, ref. I always love that. Uh, once Saturn escapes, he's just hitting big strikes on Jericho, who's dazed. Uh, Ralphus, uh, to taunt Saturn, begins slowly taking out the dress, which he does with quite a degree of difficulty. Lee. Even though it's just in a brown paper bag, Ralphus is fucking struggling here. Listen, this isn't a strong point. He's, he's not made for you know being the centre of attention. But we do find out that this dress is indeed leopard print. Uh, I do appreciate that Brain recognizes the, <laughs> the dress from somewhere. He can't quite place where. And he said, next summer he's going to have Ralphus at all his picnics. <laughs> Tony asks why, and he said he keeps the flies off the food. <laughs> uh, they're on the outside now as Jericho <laughs> takes his chance to get back in control, but he can't resist showboating because he is Jericho. Um, he does his cocky, you know, one foot on the chest, come on, baby, pin, uh, which enrages Saturn who takes him down and just lays these punches into the back of Jericho's yeah, head that looked brilliant. amazing um, Saturn is dominant as we start heading towards the finishing sequences we get a DVD reversal a reversal of the walls of Jericho Saturn rolls Jericho up uh, the crooked ref then rolls them over in the roll up position and fast counts and Jericho wins uh, Jericho has the dress in the bag then, slaps the ref to make him give it to Saturn. And this is where I'm like, this is some Vince Russo ass shit. Saturn starts preparing the dress. Brain says, the last bald woman he saw in a dress was Oakland's sister. <laughs> um, Saturn puts the dress on and uh, the two goofs and the ref uh, laugh and cackle as Saturn is mortified. This post-match went on for fucking ever. Yep. The match ended and the segment just went and went and went. And like the payoff is Saturn has his head in his hands while wearing a dress. And that's the payoff. Yeah, that is the payoff. I did like one bit from referee Rich Evans where like 
Saturn is kind of hanging his head over the ropes in shame and the ref kind of politely walks up behind and starts zipping up the dress for Saturn. Yeah, that was good. That got me. Uh, We had David Flair in the internet location. He said the words, I am 19 years old and I am not a wrestler. Correct on both counts, David. Uh, I mean, it's funny. He's 41 now and he's still not a wrestler. And I know, I immediately know, like, if I didn't know already what I know about the quality of David Flair, the wrestler, I would think to myself, holy shit, this boy is nervous. Mm-hmm. Like, he looked like he was going to cry, get sick, or pass out, which pretty much characterizes his entire run, um, I must say. Um, four corners, cruiserweight action, thank God. You say that? Yeah. Look, this wasn't, you know, I'm not putting this in my top five, not even top ten mm-hmm. of the cruiserweight matches, but on the curve of this show, this was Flair and Steamboat. Listen, compared to everything else on the show, yes, it is absolutely the best match on the show. Yeah. By these guys' standards, this match is very much so-so. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down to the stip. I think it more comes down to the fact that at this point, these guys would not have worked many four-way matches. Yeah. Well, there is is definitely that. But I, I just... With this four corners stip... And, you know, like, that you kind of, like, you know, you can tag in either. And Mm. I think there is, like, there is a certain limited amount of stories you can tell with that. But the Mm. logic of this match is broken fairly easily and nonsensically that I think either a straight tag match or an all-out fucking spot fest four-way where they're all in at once breaking off into two pairs would have been mm-hmm. better than... Which, which is basically what they do after a point in this. Yeah, it's like they give up on, on the stip. Um, I liked Sikosis's new White Ranger-style gear. Ray's, yeah, with the me- me- Mexican colors. Yeah, Ray's camo gear and boxing robe yeah. is class. Oh, the robe looks fucking fantastic. But it yeah. does show off the enormous knee brace, which reminds you why he started wearing fucking parachute the baggy, pants. The baggy pants, yeah. yeah. Um, They did, Ray and Kidman, I think it was, did a crunching double cross body spot. Mm-hmm. Um. Tony within minutes is already burying the stip where he's just like somebody tags out and he's like now I can understand actually no I can't (laughs) because the idea obviously like if you're not in you can't win and theoretically you could tag out out? yeah why would you ever tag out um and like there's a very limited like you know you can tell a story where out of desperation the person who doesn't want to tag out has to tag out has otherwise they lose yeah. so that they tag out to save the match but they they didn't tell that kind of story in this it was kind of just they were just after a couple of minutes of keeping up that pretense they were just tagging and then it just yeah, broke no, down anyway the match was literally just Kidman and Ray versus Hoovy and Tikosis yeah um, I was chuckling at Kidman's tribal tattoo. It was like, tell me you lived through the 90s without telling me you lived through the 90s. Where it was just like everybody had like barbed wire and shit. Yeah, I know. You've got, look, you've got a tribal <laughs> tattoo, but it's not that kind of one. Like yours kind of like. No, mine, mine is different. Yeah, like you know the ones I'm talking about. I know. You know, know. I'm, not, I'm not slagging you off, my friend. Even though yours might mean like water cooler in Cantonese. 
or something. No, like I, I I have my Chinese tattoo that I know means what it means. <laughs> yeah, because I got that checked too. Absolutely certain. I know a couple of Chinese people, and I did get them to check it out. Good and stuff. Be sure. Um, so dives to the outside from all the guys. Uh, Ray and Kidman hit a springboard doomsday on Hoovy. Um, <laughs> I love that uh, Sikosis breaks up the pinfall, and Tony says that's the first logical move I've seen in this match. Uh, Ray monkey flips Sikosis on the apron, which I thought was unique. Uh, he mm-hmm. like he monkey flips him over the ring post. That was cool. Um. Kidman nearly brains himself on a cannonball to the outside. We get an air hoovy to the outside. Um, Ray does a tope over the ref, but accidentally only takes out his pal Kidman. Hoovy and Sikosis working together as the heels. Sikosis uh, does a tope con hilo to the two faces as they're lying down on the ground, which, one, absolutely ruled, and two, as I tweeted while I was watching it, there is no wrestler in this company right now with more disregard for their own arse than Psychosis. Yeah, when when um, Hoovy was setting the two guys, Kidman and Ray, up on the outside, I literally went, oh no. Like, yeah. I li- out loud went, oh no. And Connor kind of turned to me, he's like, what? And I said, just watch. Yeah. Because I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And yeah, Psychosis is a fucking madman. Hoovy goes for a Hoovy driver on Kidman and shout out to Jamesy. Ray makes the save with a massive chop block. Uh, Ray Hurricane Rana's psychosis uh, to the outside and at that same moment, Kidman squashes Hoovy with a shooting star press. He got nothing but knees on that. Um, and Kidman wins. Uh, the baby faces shake hands and celebrate with each other afterwards. Good, good action. It's easy to say in hindsight, but Kidman really should have fucking retired that SSP sooner. Yeah, or at least said, roll out a bit more, mate. You know. But anyway. Um, yeah, no, look, a, a, a good match, yeah. but I can't say it was a great yeah, match. Yeah, like where the bar is for these guys, you would expect a bit more. But certainly after the absolute muck we've been through so far on this show, I had a great time with this. Mm-hmm. Um, Booker T is now in the internet location. He's irate about Jericho screwing Saturn over in that match, talking about how Star- Sa- he likes Saturn, he's a man of integrity and stuff like that. Jericho interrupts, and I absolutely died as Jericho walks in and said, excuse me, Mr. T. <laughs> it's tremendous. He refers to him multiple times as Mr. T. Yeah. Booker says somebody in WCW should do something about this cheating, and actually maybe he'll do something about it himself. Jericho lays down the challenge for Monday, and Booker accepts. I don't know, like... I, I'm into that match idea. I'm into that feud idea. But I don't know if the Jericho character is someone believably challenging a Booker T at this stage. Like, whatever about at the start where he's, like, kind of, a, like, a shortcutty, little bit cowardly. But, like, mm-hmm. he's full-on cowardly at this stage. So, I, yeah, I'm not buying that. Like, Booker should have just challenged him and maybe, like, JJ makes the match or something. Um. I'm more impressed that this is the first on-air instance of WCW doing an internet angle. Yeah, indeed. Years before WWE guys would be doing uh, weekend angles on Twitter. The innovators Mm -hmm. here at World Championship Wrestling. Next up, God almighty Lee, deep breath. Hennig and Wyndham versus Flair and Son. Double Flair. Double Flair. Wyndham coming out here looking like your favorite a favorite Amish country musician. 
Well, I have them down as. Um, did you not see the tweet I put no. out? I um, said he looked just like Randy Quaid from King Queen. Yeah, yeah, nailed it. They went same hair, um, same barber. Um, um, did you catch what? the uh, Rick and David Flair mashup entrance video? Yes, where it's just like glory shots of Ric Flair's career interspersed with just panning shots of David looking David. fucking gormless. <laughs> David has one emotion and it's confused. Look, Lee, <laughs> if this was a deliberate gimmick, David Flair would be my favorite wrestler in the world. Like if uh-huh. gormless twat was his was what they were going for, I'd be like this man is a genius, like a a Kaufman-esque genius. But uh sadly, he is actually somebody who tries. I mean, when he gets to the ring, I said, I can't tell if he's nervous, excited, cold, hungry, <laughs> tired, because like a, his facial like expressions do not change. I don't know why. It's just like, I don't know what he wants. I don't know why he's here. Yeah. Um, Flair rushes the ring and grabs a chair immediately. David with strong doofus energy right from the start here. Um, with the big, big doofus energy. Giant, giant red <laughs> knee pads that cover half his fucking body. Um, what else have we got? How many? How many times do you think he'd been inside a wrestling ring at this point? Um, I mean, less how, than five. Le, le, you, it certainly comes off that way, but sadly, probably like months down at the power plant. Um, I don't think so because let's not forget that like Rick was on the outs with this company. Like that is true. Three months, which ago. by the way, in a Russo-esque moment of breaking the fourth wall, they do uh, mention the infamous Miss Thunder to go to Reed's wrestling tournament, mm-hmm. like right at the start of this. Uh, Flair on the mic, speaking of Russo, suggests Hennig go to work for the WWF or some other joint, and I appreciate if, that on the network if, the F got censored. <laughs> Yeah, if he won't get in the ring or something like that. It's like, oh, you'll have to go work elsewhere. Yeah, Wyndham demands to start with David. Flair is not happy, but he relents. Uh, David Flair is not happy? No, Rick. Rick's not happy. David's just, I don't know, again, emotions. David has... Emotions. Can I just say, David has the reddest face I've ever seen on a human being within seconds. Before he even, like, does anything. Just, I mean, he he's embarrassed. I yeah, I am fucking embarrassed. Decades later, like I can't wait till he gets to when he gets his blonde hair, because then I can talk about how much he reminds me of a pint of Beamish. It's <laughs> a very Irish joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know my audience. I l- listen. I. Guarantee by the end of this podcast run doing Thunder that I will have enjoyed David Flair for the most part. Yeah. Well, especially. Because he's not. He won't have been taken seriously for the guts of it. Yeah. At this point, we are supposed to take him seriously. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. And you, nor should you. Um. So, like, I. God bless Wyndham for acting like David was outsmarting him here in the early goings. Like, really? Like, who are you trying to fool, buddy? Uh, Rick comes in and some action finally starts briefly. I will say, you know, as far as uh, hand-picked opponents, Hennig is always a very reliable guy to come in and bump around mm-hmm. like crazy and make you look like a million bucks. Um, the heels start cutting Rick Flair off in the corner, which, you know, Penny drops. Oh, God. Do they want David to be the hot tag man? Uh... Hennig puts Rick in a figure four with a Wyndham assist. 
Flair fighting off Wyndham with all he has, managing to stop him in his tracks with a couple of deafening chops. Uh, David tries to get in and does, oh my God, yeah, at one point he tries to get in to stop the beating and does the most hilarious Lemmy Adams spot with the ref in the world, like where he's just like bouncing up and down with the ref, like they're on a trampoline together. It's so embarrassing. Uh, Arn and Hennig start scrapping outside. Hennig gets his hands on David. Arn comes in, lamping Hennig with a tire iron. David falls on top of him and wins. Uh, big brawl as members of the oh god yeah this uh, talk about post matches that went on forever so we had uh-huh. a big brawl as members of the do, on, yeah. do you know what I was going to say should have tipped me off when Henning and Wyndham came out to the NWO music yeah. in spite of neither guy wearing anything related to the NWO yeah Ugh. I mean I'm going to go back to it Kurt Henning turned his back on the horseman what 1997 yeah. wasn't it yeah Fall roll. Mm-hmm. He wears an NWO t-shirt until about the midpoint of 1998, yeah. if even. And then it's just him and Rude taking the piss out of everybody. Yeah. God, and I, I and already now missed that. And now it's just him and um, him and Wyndham. Mm-hmm. They are no more part of the NWO than we are. Yeah. <sighs> So the horsemen in the NWO, including Nash and Hogan, you know, good of them to appear. Um, they come out. Hogan cuffs Rick to the ropes as the dorks start to pick on David. The crowd are hot and chanting for Goldberg. Hogan shoves him over Buff. Uh, David goes for Hogan, which got a big reaction. Uh, they stretch David out, and Hogan starts striking with the strap. Hogan marks him easy with the spray paint. And Hogan finishes by shouting down the camera, I love you, Eric. This went way too long. And I was thinking about this afterwards. The crowd was so hot for Goldberg. Could you not have done the Goldberg mm-hmm. injury angle here? Like, could you not yep. have had him come out, give the crowd what they want? They're still going to pop for him for his match and have the NWO beat him down as he valiantly tries to save the president of the company's son. Or do you know what you could have done? You could Anything. have put Goldberg, Goldberg Hall on early in the card. Yeah. Have Goldberg beat Hall. That explains why Hall isn't here. Yeah. And then you have the show close with Goldberg kicking the NWO's ass. Mm-hmm. <sighs> or you can do this where David Flair gets whipped yeah. repeatedly in a shoot because I remember reading Rick's book and he was pissed about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they whip the shit out of David. Well, sorry, one person in particular whips the shit out of David Flair. And, yeah, it just goes on and on and on to the point that Ric Flair shouts, fuck you, at Kevin Nash. Yeah. Audibly, on yeah, camera. multiple times. Um, It's just, it's so fucking... I understand what they were going for. They're kind of... They're building heat to Hogan fucking Flair again. But this is not how you'd, like... Oh, it was just fucking awful. awful like, and it was an awful match and an awful segment. Yeah, like... Why did they need the fucking 19-year-old kid with no training yeah. to get his ass legitimately whipped? And in the why ring? did it have to be on pay-per-view in an excruciatingly long segment? You could have just done it on Nitro. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway. It's just... 
the worst of WCW. To talk about, we'll have plenty of time to talk about David Flair's wrestling, but something I wanted to wait until this point in the show to talk about is obviously, you know, you mentioned there that, you know, you think you're going to end up enjoying David Flair by the end. And of course, it'd be remiss of us not to bring up the, you know, speaking of acts that David Flair was associated with since our last podcast, the, the tragic passing of, of Daphne. Um, now, I tweeted a little bit about her. I can't remember if it was from my account or the Thunder account. I think I retweeted from Thunder if it was from mine. Um, I have really strong memories of like Daphne and Crowbar showing up and, and part of that act with, with David Flair. Um, and like we're a couple of weeks late talking about it, you know, because it, it, you know, it happened over, like, was it about a week and a half ago? It was kind of just after, after we recorded. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like we're kind of you know uh late to the party uh giving our condolences the very very tragic end to her life mm-hmm. um but in terms of like my my strong memories of her like you know there was a, this was a time in wrestling where particularly in this company the women had one role um and that was as like nitro girls as pinups mm-hmm. you know and the only ones really at this stage that are involved as anything else, like it's Liz, isn't it? It's pretty much the only one. It's Liz. Yeah. And like later in this year, we're going to get kind of more uh, female acts coming in, but they will essentially be variations on that theme. Like Tori comes in later this year, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Stacy's like late this year, I think. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, like in 2000, we'll have like major guns and people like that. And, you know, over the other side in WWF as well, like by and large, women were fitting one type of mold, you know, uh, and they were targeting, you know, young adolescent men, you know. Um, and along comes Daphne in 2000. I'm very excited to talk about her when when we get to it. And... She was just different in a way that in parallel on WWF television, when Lita showed up, she was different. That was the comparison I was going to make, yeah. Yeah, the two, the two parallels I would always draw are like Lita and Luna, you know, as in mm-hmm. showing up with a completely different aesthetic. Um, but I, I kind of, I lean, as you do, more towards the Lita comparison because Daphne was cool as fuck. You know what I mean? Like it, it, that whole like I just loved the the trio of her, David, the, and Crowbar. Yeah, that the whole outsider clique. Uh, like you know, sorry, not the outsiders, but their little they didn't fit in with anybody else. Yeah, and the, the love story of Daphne and David yeah. and Crowbar being the third wheel. It yeah. was all just like that's what I mean. Like that's the stuff I I am looking forward to getting to with with David and like I I remember a lot of that stuff. Um. I remember when Daphne showed up for the first time, stuff like that. Um, Somebody described her on Twitter during the week as maybe the last person who managed to get organically over in that company. And for a time there, she was over as hell. Mm -hmm. And she was somebody who's... She was found through a casting call. Like, she wasn't brought... She wasn't, yeah. yeah. She wasn't brought into a territory or an independence or anything like that. She just liked the idea of trying this out. And... Mm -hmm very quickly like the light in her eyes when she would get involved in matches and how Mm -hmm. genuinely joyful she seemed 
and how much she got into the business and how much she paid back to the business over the years after WCW closed. Like people who didn't keep track of her career where she like she moved to TNA, she was in Shimmer, wasn't she? Shimmer, yeah. she was a major part of Shimmer. Yeah. And yeah. you know, only a cursory look at Twitter since she she passed away will show you that most of this generation of women's wrestlers, even though you didn't know it, like had interactions with Daphne where like second only to maybe like a Molly Holly, she seemed like a saint and a godmother to an entire generation of wrestlers. Again, you took the words that right out of my mouth. I was going to say a godmother of that that women's wrestling scene in the early to mid two thousands, and then later on, she obviously she wasn't wrestling as much after the TNA stuff. Yeah. Um, but she obviously was very well thought of by a lot of wrestlers. In um, that rarefied air of wrestlers that no one had a bad word to say about. Yeah, and I mean. Like you said, it, it's crazy to think that she came from a casting call. She wasn't a wrestling fan. But uh, it's such a tragedy. And I'm Sorry, that that's not the right word to use. It, it's unfortunate that, like you said, she got so over to a point in WCW, but they never capitalized and never went. They, they never had anyone for her to work against. Yeah. And they never wanted... To capitalize on her popularity yeah. because because she was different yeah. and she you know didn't have the sex appeal and that's unfortunately that's the way yeah. or at least not, was again at, the time. at least not the sex appeal in the way they wanted it yes you know what I mean? sorry yeah again yeah um and it was a thing where like again it's a shame that when wcw folded she was never really brought in to uh, like to wwf for a proper run mm-hmm you know what I mean? Because again, there's another company that wasn't ready for that aesthetic. I was just going to say, she was so far ahead of her time that she, even if she was signed, she would have been down in fucking the HWA or OW, yeah. uh, OVW for a year yeah. or two and just let go. It would be reminiscent of her, her kind of whole shtick was like very reminiscent of, do you remember Paige's gimmick down in FCW and NXT, the anti-diva mm. bit? That's yeah. very much what it would have been. And, you know, she gave so much to the business. And, like I said, was so influential. It's such a fucking tragedy. Like, it really is. Like, and, I mean, we haven't even mentioned her TNA. Like, we have kind of glossed over it. But, mm-hmm. like, her TNA run as well. Like, she did a lot of good things there as well. And it really was a tragedy how, um, how her life ended. And... Again, I'm I'm glad you brought it up because it is like another person on these shows that we have to talk about yeah. and I'm glad we got to kinda say how much we enjoyed yeah. her work. It's just a shame that like again I hope enough people gave her, her flowers while she was here that, mm-hmm. that she knows how much she was she was truly appreciated because she definitely was. And, yeah, I I have no doubt that her friends and like I, I didn't see the video at the time, and I'm obviously not gonna go watch it. Yeah. But I, be, I believe there were people inundating her with calls Absolutely. and stuff um, like that at the time. So, and of course, with you know the nature of things, um, if you are struggling and you need help, mm-hmm. please reach out. Um, I'll pop some links in the show description. Um, yeah, rest in peace, Daphne. Uh, forty six, absolutely no age to go. 
Luckily, uh, there's no easy way to uh, segue back, but we've got um, a couple of segments here, including the main event left to go. Um, the first segment is a, a video package of Lex attacking Goldberg. This weird slow motion video package. Again, just an off night for WCW video packages. Um, I mean, th- was it just me or was the sound effect on this video black the black and white video package was it waves crashing in the background? so it, it, it the video reminded <laughs> me of two things one was the Zapruder film of kennedy being shot and the other was uh precisely season three episode eight of twin peaks Okay. There is people who've seen that episode will, will know uh, shit gets really weird, and some of the sound effects in that video package were actually quite reminiscent um, of Twin Peaks. It was really strange. Um, we open, we go back to the arena just in time for the main event, and the first thing I see is a big sign that says "I Steal Pay Per View." Uh, which I thought was very funny to start off the the main event, especially for somebody in the building. <laughs> I mean, why steal it when WCW will just give it to you the next night for free? Steal it? Like, was he a comp ticket or something like that? I wonder. Did he just beat somebody? Well, up? maybe he means when he's not there, he steals. Or maybe he was the one who beat Goldberg up and took his VIP pass, and that's how he's in there. Who's to say? Possibly. Um, It's main event time. Your boy, Mr. Buffer, is here. Delighted to see him, as I'm sure you always are. I can't even get the the energy at this point to this show. Be this show is really beating us down. Oh yeah. Um, Hall out first, and he taunts atop the ladder outside. Scott explains that Goldberg's injury. Oh my God, his his explanation of what the nature of the injury is did get me. He basically says that Goldberg injured himself because he took one look at Scott Hall, pissed himself, and slipped in it. <laughs> I mean, for a heel explanation of what happened... It's pretty good. It's pretty it's good. It's pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, Gul- unfortunately for Hall anyway, Goldberg does emerge to his disgust. Hall tries to stand toe-to-toe with him at the start of the match, but B- Big Bill shoves him down. Uh, Hall looks nervous as he can't get a foothold in this match, keeps getting overpowered. He does a body slam, the Goldberg this is, uh- he does a body slam and then he starts selling the leg. I want to say one thing I do appreciate is that while the NWO were out in the ring for 15 minutes beating up the flares, that one of them very intelligently got the spray can and wrote NWO above the WCW sold out sign. Yeah, very clever. Um, So yeah, um, this kind of match, like it takes Goldberg fairly out of his comfort zone because one, it's quite a long match. I mean, you're taking away the essence of Goldberg. Yeah. The essence of Goldberg is he spears people, he jackhammers them, he pins them. Yeah. So now you're having them do a long match with limb selling that's also a ladder match, sort of. Where he can't win instantaneously with a fucking killer spear. Yeah. So he does a body slam, sells the leg, does a power slam, sells it more. I do... You know, if this was a shorter match and a singles match, I do love the idea of Wounded Animal Goldberg, you know, Mm. striking out with Venom. And you can tell a story about how, like, him being hurt makes him even more dangerous. It's something we haven't seen, which, again, it does make it interesting, but there's no payoff, right? Okay, Scott Hall gets up the ladder first. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... (sighs) 
Hall notices it's not, Ronya. I was just going to say, it's not a title up there. No. He doesn't win the match by going up the ladder. Yeah. Was it mentioned before the match actually started, uh, before Buffer was doing it, that the way to win this match was to shock the person? I think, I'm pretty sure it was. Oh, okay. The whole idea was whoever goes up the ladder first can shock the person. Okay. Right. I just don't care. I'm just, this show. Ugh. Anyway, Hall sees the injury, so he attacks the leg, goes to the outside, cracks Goldberg's leg off the steps. Uh, Hall goes for the ladder. Goldberg catches up with him. Hall takes him down on top of the ladder, which hurts his leg more. Back in the ring for a moment, Hall drop kicks the ladder into Goldberg on the apron and runs his head into the steps again. Goldberg beating, bleeding pretty bad out of the top of his head then. Yeah, where did that come from? So it was around the time he did the steps. Like, I'm wondering, like, either he's not used to blading and he did it on the top of his head like a fucking idiot, or maybe the ladder actually did catch him <laughs> and it was hard way. <laughs> Anything is possible. Anything is indeed possible. Uh, Hall grabs the ladder and hits him in the gut and then in the back Goldberg recovers and can finally take the ladder to Hall wails on him with it uh, Brain wonders if it's possible for him to climb the ladder on one leg uh, at one point Hall is climbing and they go to oh my god yeah so Hall is climbing the ladder and they go to do the push the ladder over and he hangs his balls up on the ropes bit but he falls about a foot and a half short and yeah. absolutely fucks himself up he lands hard on his neck and his leg is dangling over the top rope. It's not a nice position. No. Um, yeah, it was just... Um, Goldberg is nearly up and then Disco comes out to shove him off the ladder. Uh, Goldberg, and speaking of fucking yourself up, like Goldberg goes into the ropes and like his head bounces off one of the ropes pretty nastily. That could have gone mm-hmm. a lot worse. Like, I think of the infamous uh, Enzo being knocked out by the ropes uh, instant. Like, I need to be very lucky not to be knocked out or to have a broken neck from hitting the ropes. Weird like that. Uh, but see, the, the the key there is Goldberg wasn't soft. Yeah. I was going to say, yes. Goldberg, like, has a neck thicker than most people's thighs. Like, so... You, you just you just killed me a bit again. I was going to do the SAWFT. Oh, well, uh, that... That fuck doesn't deserve getting his getting his stick put over, <laughs> even on a program like this. That was this. before we all knew. Yeah. Before, we, before, before we before we all knew any better. Um. So yeah, Hall is helped up by Disco, and he gets the taser. Goldberg dodges the taser, blocks another taser shot, sidekicks him. The taser falls out of the ring, and there's a mad scramble between the two of them to get to it. I do love that the crowd... The crowd were bought into this for the most part, I will say. And there are people screaming in the crowd... Screaming yeah, desperately yeah. screaming, it's there, it's there. So Goldberg gets it, and perhaps the biggest pop of the night is Goldberg is trying to get into the ring, and then he just turns to his left and zaps Disco. <laughs> and the crowd lost it for that. Disco getting hurt will always get a yeah, pop. Because our, our good friend of the show, Chris, probably absolutely devastated at Disco getting <laughs> jobbed out here. Uh, Disco gets zapped. The people are on their feet for this, unbelievably, when Goldberg gets into the ring. I can't believe that they're just into this dumb shit because they love Goldberg so much. Um, He threatens to zap him for ages. And then I, I did love this spot. He goes, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Throws the taser up in the air. And as Hall reaches up to grab it, he gets speared out of his fucking boots. Mm -hmm. Jackhammer. And then he zaps him. But obviously there's some timing problems because Bam Bam comes out. There's a bit where he's standing over him going to zap him. And there's a 
glancing shot up the ramp and you can see somebody's arm is starting to emerge from from the gorilla position mm-hmm. and then he he waits a while longer zaps him and then bam bam is the ring immediately to attack him hall sees the two men brawling picks up the taser zaps both of them and then we just go off the air yeah it's the end of the show it an absolute mess of a finish like either bam bam misses q and goldberg wasn't supposed to zap hall or goldberg was supposed to zap hall and then bam bam was to it's just a fucking it was a mess i loved the spear yeah i would have loved if this was like an odq match and you know, Hall brought in the taser and that's how Goldberg got it and mm. did the spot from there and pinned him. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I actually, yeah, um, I would have loved if Disco climbed the ladder for Hall and went to throw it down from on top of the ladder and when he went to yeah, throw it down, the, Goldberg the, the, nailed yeah, him. Yeah, too far yeah. or whatever, yeah. Um, like, it's just... I mean, the pay-per-view ends with a three-way brawl involving a taser. Is that like the end of a thunder? So we felt right at home. Yeah, it's it's just bad. <laughs> yeah. It's just really, really bad. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of words to describe. A bad like end to a fucking bad show, man. I mean, is this the worst pay per view we've had? I think so. Yeah, match for match. Like there might be individual worst moments on other shows, like you know, the breaking of the streak, which we talked about ad nauseum, mm-hmm. has turned out to be for the worst. But, like, as a whole start-to-finish pay-per-view product, I would feel the most aggrieved about having paid for this out of all the ones we've watched so far. I think that's Mm -hmm. fair to say. Apart from maybe Halloween Havoc, where you'd lose your main event. Yeah, well, that's that that was some totally other ineptitude. This is just a bad show. Right, so, Lee, Uh, though it will be hard to pick one of these, uh, (sighs) firstly, give me your overall thoughts, and then your winners and losers. The show stunk. It, it, they had no interest in putting this show on. We said at the top of the show, they felt obliged to do the show because they had a pay-per-view slot booked. Mm-hmm. None of this made any sense. They could have done the Taser match on the Nitro. There was no need for it to be a pay-per-view Taser match, match probably would have um, popped a decent rating on the Nitro. Yeah. Like Goldberg ladder match, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, there was really, like, like I said, you have... Tag team titles, US title, TV title, world title, cruiserweight title. And all they have on the show is cruiserweight title. Mm-hmm. No excuse. Absolutely no excuse to not have some lower card feuds in featured. Like, if you don't want to have the top stars on the show, fine. Have some lower card feuds featured. Yeah. They don't. Um, Just an all-around bad show with bad wrestling and bad wrestlers in general. Bad angles. It's just a bad, bad show. Um, winners and losers. I mean, losers is... I mean, I, I feel sorry for Ric Flair having to watch his son be legitimately beaten up mm. by a guy that he can't touch politically. Yeah. Um. Winners, I mean... I don't know, Kidman, like, it's still, like, a highlight of the show, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> but it is your I, I, I don't know, like, it, like it's... I, I really, I genuinely am, because there's nothing, like, Eddie is gone. DDP has fucking gone. 
Goldberg is fucking struggling as best he can to remain relevant, but they're just feeding him absolute shit at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bam Bam is fucking dead as a threat. Um, no matter how many times they send him out to beat up Goldberg. Yeah. Raven, we haven't seen for two or three weeks. Anything I enjoyed about the show is just gone. Yeah. It's, yeah. God, I'm just like, I feel on such a. Again, I just want to. I want to fast forward through the depressing bad stuff and get to the the funny bad. Yeah. And again, I don't like being negative about it because we are going to watch all of this. I want to just get to Dale Torborg wandering around a graveyard already. (laughs) Sting setting himself on fire. Yeah. Like. I want to get to the insane clown bossy, man. Look, Spring Stampede is three months from now. So we just got to try to get through that. It, this is going to be a bad run. And there's no two ways about it. It is going to be a bad, bad yeah. run. There, there's some stuff coming up that I know is bad. but There's probably there's, just as much stuff we've forgotten. It, that was going to be another point. But I know I have that pay-per-view coming up. And then from then on, there's some stuff that I don't remember all too well. So I'll be kind of... Maybe. Hopefully enjoy. Uh, Again, we're like, by the summer, I'm pretty sure we're in the territory where I was watching. I was definitely watching at some point early to mid-99. So it'll be interesting, the first thing I twig remembering watching. Because again, I would have been like 9 to 10 years old. So a lot of it may be mixed together. At this stage but uh we shall see your finish counter brought to you by ludwig borga gives us nine matches six clean finishes inexplicably two interference leading to a finish and one ruled for miscellaneous shenanigans um so yeah <laughs> that was sold out everyone <laughs> i hope the show was better than the pay-per-view it isn't a particularly it, high it, bar is there a sold out 2000 i I don't want to punish myself by by looking it up. Um, I think we're. I think I think it. I think it is sold out two thousand, and then isn't seen. Yeah. The, the January. Yeah, there's definitely not one in two thousand and one. Yeah. No. Right. Anyway, um, that's us for for another episode of Days of Thunder. Uh, next week we won't. Well, next next week, but in two weeks we won't have a regular episode of Thunder. We're actually going to have our first in a while pick your poison special. So about a week from now, when this show is posted, keep your eyes peeled at WCW Thunderpod on Twitter, where we'll start leaking out who the guest is, who the subject of pick your poison is, and the match list. Because I know some people like to watch the matches and then listen to the chat. I can tell you, Mm -hmm. we already have the show in the canister. And it was a really good one, and we had great fun, didn't we? One of the most enjoyable evenings we've had recording a show. Probably since the last Pick Your Poison with Jamesy. Yeah, ge- genuinely, yeah. Um, we we do really enjoy Pick Your Poison. Yeah. This is one that we have wanted to do probably since we began. Yeah. The show. Yeah, this is one that we literally had this show with this guest doing this wrestler in the works for about 15 months, months. <laughs> yeah. June 2020 that we that we sent out the feeler originally um so yeah um 
we were delighted to finally get to it. We're delighted to be back with the Pick Your Poison. You might have seen as well on Twitter, I tweeted out the upcoming episodes list. So we're going to have a Pick Your Poison, then back to Thunder. Then we're going to have our first TRL special, which we'll we'll tease on the, the preceding episode of the podcast. Then another episode of Thunder and also sprinkled throughout the next couple of months, we will be doing two more Cast and Furious episodes talking Fast 6 and 7. So plenty of content from you boys uh, coming down the pipe soon. But anyway, we shall see you all in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Look after yourselves. Thanks everyone for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners, about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the Day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past like the Worldcast through the years in the International House of Combat to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine and the Truth and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside